Today, on The Lab Report, we talk to Dr. Anna Herbst. She's got a brand new book out called Functional Medicine in Primary Care. And we're going to talk to her about that book and how to make the leap to functional medicine. You're going to want to hear this. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I can't help how many times I gulp. <laughs> Clearly. It's a, it's a dairy thing. <laughs> and I... I consume a lot of... Hello! Welcome to the Lab Report, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. Yeah, I'm not distracted by the gulping. I'm more distracted by the plant that's in our podcast room over your shoulder there. Yeah, I can feel it. I can feel the the pain and suffering over my shoulder. We have a huge peace lily in this room and it's dying slowly. Why is that? Why is it dying, Um, Patty? Well, because it's dark in here and there's no windows and it's very hot. Why else might it be dying? Um, I may... Looking for some transparency. I may have forgotten to water it. Some personal... Res- Perhaps. Personal accountability. I may have forgotten to water it. Just M- saying it. Hey, Patty. What? Guess what? Huh? Plants need water. That would have been helpful information a couple weeks ago. Didn't think that would be something I'd have to educate on. <laughs> now I'm distracted. Elsa needs light, and it's really dark in here. Peace lilies are pretty good without light. I know, they're pretty hardy. Yeah, and yet... It's the water thing, It I does suspect. not look <laughs> like a hardy plant right okay, now. Okay, okay, I'll water it. It will come back. I have full faith in you, plant, that you will come back pending appropriate <laughs> hydration. You know what? What? This is the lab report. It is. We should probably announce that. And I hope, you know, you all have already subscribed to this podcast. But if you're new and you're hearing it for the first time, you like what you hear, hit the like button, leave us a review, subscribe, tell your friends. Hit this subscribe button yeah. for sure. Yeah. I don't if there's a like button, hit that too. I don't know if, if there's, there's one. If there's not, I mean just just hit buttons, honestly. <laughs> At the end, just, just if there's <laughs> buttons on there, just hit them. If you there's stars lined up, hit the one on the right. That's that should be five, right? Well, you know, Michael, what's interesting about today is that we're gonna talk to Dr. Anna Herbst. Yeah. She's gonna come on the podcast today and I'm looking forward to talking to her. You don't wanna know why? Why? She's a DO and I'm a DO. Oh, and you guys. and oh, gonna have a little do mm, party. Well, I'm always outnumbered by all, manipulation no, talk. I'm outnumbered by all the naturopaths here, so I, I need some do blood. Additionally, for all of these episodes, we've been talking about the difference between conventional medicine and functional medicine, and the pros and cons of each. And this is someone who's actually made the leap and bridged that gap. So she, I think she's gonna have a lot of interesting insight. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of cool things. She uh, spent some time in the Cleveland Clinic for functional medicine. So she's got some history there. Uh, that's pretty awesome. And now she's got her own practice, family practice, primary care. It's a concierge practice. So uh, we can ask her a little bit about what that transition's been like. You know what? Hmm. We're kind of talking about the things that we're going to ask her. <laughs> Let's just ask her. Let's just talk to her. So we're very excited to have Dr. Anna Herbst on the podcast today. Dr. Herbst began her professional journey when she graduated from Trinity College of Natural Health. 
She then went on to traditional medicine by attending the Oklahoma State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, which she completed a residency in family practice. In 2013, she became certified by the Institute of Functional Medicine and helped found the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. And currently, Dr. Herbst is the chief medical officer at her primary practice called Salt Health. And she just released a brand new book entitled Functional Medicine and Primary Care. Together, we will help to get you better. So first and foremost, welcome, welcome Dr. Dr. Herbst. Herbst. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'll tell you, although we're all very excited, I'm especially excited to have you on the podcast because you're a DO. And I am <laughs> greatly outnumbered in this medical affairs department, Michael, right? It's we, true. We talk about that all the time. <laughs> but the difference is I found functional medicine after about 18 years of hospital medicine and utter burnout and just looking for something new. But we know that your path to functional medicine was a little bit different. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that path and what drew you to functional medicine. Yeah, sure. Great. So really, it was because I was trying to get well, I had my own personal health journey, as I think many in functional medicine do. But in that process, you know, I found that lifestyle changes made a pretty drastic difference in my own well-being. And as I got better, I started doing what was called lifestyle counseling, just basically looking at diet, nutrition, and lifestyle habits that were helping to improve patients' well-being. But then they would start to bring me more and more complex disease states, maybe a relative or something that I wasn't qualified to take care of. And so that's when I said, once my youngest baby goes to kindergarten, I'm going to start medical school. So <laughs> I went into uh, to medical school and really enjoyed that. I'd always wanted to do it, but my health got in the way there for a while. So anyway, I did the DO. And the reason I picked osteopathic medicine was it felt like to me a little bit more of a holistic approach. Yeah, you know, the philosophy is, you know, making sure that the whole body is looked at and so forth. So that was a good fit for me being a naturopath. I traveled through that process and appreciated the medical side, but I really still had a passion for what I had learned, you know, in the more alternative world, Uh meaning diet, lifestyle. And then I uh, did a medical residency at actually switched over and did an MD residency for family practice just because I wanted that perspective. Mm. And during that process as a chief resident, I thought, how am I going to incorporate the two worlds together where I can be respectable and talk the lingo and really implement this new integrative approach. Like how can I blend those two worlds together? And so I found functional medicine to be that best tool. Yeah. It became a really fascinating bridge for me. Right. Utilizing, you know, testing that was respected and it was just a different way of looking at our standard testing modalities. And so it wasn't too far fetched, wasn't too esoteric for my left brain. So that's how I started implementing the two into practice. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I always thought of osteopathic medicine. I mean, I'm a bit older than you are, but back in the day, that was the holistic approach. I mean, that was looking at the whole patient, which was fairly novel. And I thought, this is it. But then as you go along in traditional medicine, you realize there's something missing. So you're just lucky because you kind of realized all of this much earlier on, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And now you've got this new primary care practice called Salt Health. And Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about Salt Health and maybe even where that name came from. Yeah, sure. So, you know, salt, uh, when we were uh, brainstorming about the name, we said, well, salt is, you know, just a very basic element needed for life, needed for everything. It goes back to the salt of the earth, getting down and making things simple. Mm. Really looking at 
uh, medical um, situations and patients' health from a very simple, let's just get you better, let's find out why you're sick uh, approach. And then uh, somebody came up with a fantastic analogy, and it stands for Strategic Alignment of Lifestyle Therapies. So it's it's really putting the team together. But the idea behind Salt Health, really, the reason why it, it birthed is because I have this dream of, I love functional medicine. I love the principles. I love getting patients well. I love looking for root cause. But I felt like I really loved primary care, too, and I, I enjoyed it. I saw 28 people a day, and I trucked through like the rest of us. Maybe, you know, I did in and out patient for years, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was difficult to marry the two worlds right. because of payments and time limitations and insurance and yep. blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So what I, I always dreamt of was having both of them mixed together and how could we implement that. And that basically is what Felt Health is. It's a primary care with a functional medicine lens. So we call it functional primary care. I do everything that I would do in primary care, but I oftentimes say, hey, why are you on three blood pressure medicines? Maybe we could look for root cause and either limit the quantity that you need or maybe not eat any at all. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Right. So anyway, that's how I approach my patients. I love being able to give them options. I feel like it really reduces that, I don't know, burnout feeling that I, my colleagues have because we day to day, we write scripts, we treat the symptom with the pill and we it just gets daunting and you feel like you're really not changing lives you're not helping you're just adding more polypharmacy right that gets burdensome and then the patients don't feel heard they don't feel like they're getting better it gets frustrating and that cycle becomes pretty toxic in my opinion anyway that's what we do at salt health and uh, we're putting it all together yeah you know it's interesting because i think a lot of clinicians that are new to functional medicine they they really seem to struggle with incorporating some of the practices. I think they come out of there really really excited. Maybe their hair's blown back a little bit by how much information <laughs> yeah. they just got. <laughs> but then on Monday, it, it's it's difficult to begin to implement that because they're still in their their particular model that they're forced to you know see patients and they have eight minutes with patients and how they how do right. they work all that together? And so how mm-hmm. have you been able to do that and with with where you're at with Salt Health? Yeah, so in when I was in practice in Oklahoma, before I went up to Cleveland Clinic, I was doing primary care, but they allowed me to do functional medicine when I, quote, could. So yeah. I learned over seven years how to do a mix of the two. My practice was probably about 60-40, 60% functional primary care and 40% standard practice. Mm-hmm. And I was insurance model, 24, 28 people a day. That's normal. Cleveland Clinic time was straight functional medicine, and I really miss the primary care. So here, I feel like the way that we're, I guess that's why I wrote the book, but the idea is that when you leave and you gain all that knowledge from a functional medicine training course or from integrative training course, and you run back to clinic, and you're still, you know, billing insurance, and you have seven to ten minutes with the patient, how can you implement functional medicine in the practice that you're at and sort of meet the patients where they are? And not get in trouble with admin because you're over time or you're not seeing enough people. And so the principle of the book is how I learned what little tools I had. So, for instance, you have the patient fill out the timeline, which requires you to spend maybe a minute or two looking at the highlights. And in your mind, you can use the matrix and you kind of plot in the top two or three systems that are broken. 
And so that takes another maybe one minute. Mm -hmm. While you're asking the patient or doing the physical exam, you sort of learn to multitask. But basically, you're really doing a mini cliff note version of your functional medicine history. And then you can implement the workup. But you just learn that you can't do all of the testing at once. You're going to tell the patient that they're going to do it in steps or phases, which actually works out better because it can get pretty overwhelming when you order, you know, a comprehensive stool test and the Nutrivel and eight other tests. Right, <laughs> they, right. They leave and they're like, what? Is that <laughs> right, <thing?"> right. <laughs> well, how do, so anyway. you, how do you do that? How do you integrate the testing then specifically? Like, yeah, do, you, yeah, sure. do you start with one over the other, like GIFX or Nutrivel? How do you integrate that testing in there? It's totally individualized. And, and that was one of the struggles is everybody wants to put people in protocols. I struggle with that because nobody's a protocol. Nobody fits the protocol. Yep. So you have to have a great history. I get a fast, good history. If they do the work ahead of time and give me an amazing timeline, then I can read it in really, you know, a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And I can come up with my first initial, you know, ideas of where we're headed as far as testing. So I'll pick one or two basic tests, and usually it's either a Nutri-Val or a comprehensive stool, depending on the patient's Mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's an IgG food type thing where I'm looking for more what's driving inflammation. And so I'll just... Tell them we're going to pick one or two, and we'll come back in a few weeks, and we'll review those, and we'll start a basic plan. And then as the results from the next test trickle in, we'll adjust the plan accordingly. And we just kind of do that. And it's usually uh, three or four steps, three or four visits, which, you know, most of your primary care practices don't mind if you fill up the schedule with a patient three or four times. Right, <laughs> right. So that's a win, and then the patient can come back. They can touch base with the, the clinician a few times. They get face-to-face. If you're lucky and you have a team or you have a dietitian or whatever, they can, you know, incorporate their knowledge into that process. And the patient really feels cared for, and it goes back to that whole continuity of care. I mean, mm-hmm. if you see someone and then you can't see them for six months, you're going to lose them. But if you're seeing them in little steps and you're adjusting accordingly, you catch things faster so you can make fine-tune changes. They feel heard and appreciated and loved, and you're getting to see the progress and make adjustments accordingly. Yeah, right. right. This is just a a little bit out of curiosity, but since you've Mm -hmm. been in a couple different roles, whether it's, you know, more of a traditional primary care doctor or a functional medicine doctor, like your time at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, do you find that there's different types of patients that are coming into the office, depending on what, whether you're practicing more traditional primary care, or is it really kind of the, the same sort of patient going into both offices? I feel like I have a blend uh, and I have over the years the same. So you'll have patients that are really healthy that just want to stay well or want to be preventive. Say they have a strong family history of dementia or some sort of disease process and they just don't want to quote unquote get it. So they come in seeking functional medicine or a blended practice because they want to stay well or optimize their wellness. And then you'll have the chronically ill everybody's given up on me, can you fix right. me kind of. Frustrated patients, those your, yeah. Yeah, those are your hardcore, what I call functional medicine patients. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a nice blend in, in my practice, and it has been always. Now, the interesting thing is in, in the rural Oklahoma practice where I was, quote, a family practice doctor and not really known as a functional medicine doctor when I first started practicing, I found that a lot of people were what I call closet functional <laughs> medicine patients. Yeah. Like they want someone to say, here's some options. Here's a dietary change that can mm-hmm. make a difference. Here's herbals that might help with inflammation. Like they wanted to be able to ask, can I take vitamin C? It's like a hush-hush discussion. <laughs> right. You know, but 
I felt like that gives them a chance to feel a little bit empowered. But if they gain your trust, then you can have a, an appropriate dialogue because sometimes not all of that's appropriate. So, you know, you right, have to be right. able to, to discuss it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think that I see you out of both. And then your standard insurance-based model, you can tailor it and you'll find that you'll have, you know, I feel like you'll get a blend. Yeah, I, I, I was actually just going to ask you that as far as like a concierge practice versus traditional insurance yeah. and having a big team of people helping to care for your patients like that clearly makes it a, right. a different approach, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And in the concierge practice, you have more time and you have that flexibility and you don't have to fill up the schedule with as many patients. But you can still do it when you're doing insurance based, especially if you have a practice or a hospital that will allow you to coordinate with the registered dietitians, and they could be hospital registered dietitians, but as long as you all have a good dialogue in the EMR or the EHR, then you can actually make a network for the patient. That's a great point. Great point. Yeah, yeah. So you can utilize as much as you need or don't need. I find that handouts are really helpful in those cases because you don't have time, so you want to put a lot of it on a handout or find some good resources. Right. But it's doable for sure. Yeah. So uh, I build a couple of fours. I will say that people always ask me what I build when I was doing insurance, if I was doing functional medicine patients, because if you truly spent an hour, you would never get your money back. So if you tried to stick into a normal practice where you max 15 minutes a day, you can bill a level four with right. the complexity of most patients and be reimbursed pretty well. I feel like it was really doable. Yeah. And do you find that there's also colleagues that sometimes worry about consistently billing a level four? Yeah, so that was, uh, some, I spent two months when I was a resident learning how to bill. I went and actually stayed with the billing department for two hospitals. I mm-hmm. worked with the Medicare cities. So what I learned was it's documentation. If you do appropriate documentation and you have, honestly, most of your patients that are looking for this blend have at least two or three comorbidities or diagnoses. And so once you do that and you do a good exam, which most functional medicine doctors do a good exam, right. as long as you get all the required bullet points, you'll never have a problem. And I've been in practice, uh, what is it now, 10, 10 plus years? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you, count, if you count residency, it was 13 years. Never had trouble, always met my marks when they ran the audit. So as long as you're documenting appropriately, you shouldn't have to worry about billing a level four. If you get into level fives, you're going to start getting questions like, why are you doing that? You're not a specialist, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like you can hit the max and and you'll be pretty satisfied. Your RVUs will be good. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit of a different topic, but I... It relates. I know you to be a bit of an avid cycler and a hiker (laughs) and just general outdoors person. I was wondering how much with your current practice and your your new practice at Salt Health, you focus on sports medicine and overall health optimization and, and how much that patient population is coming into your practice. So it's interesting. I feel like the area that I'm living in Bentonville, Arkansas, is a very kind of like a diamond in the rough, but it's a really popular area for outdoor activities, kayaking and mountain biking and cycling and running and trail running is really popular around here. And it's funny because my team that I've surrounded myself with, I'm so blessed, but I have a registered dietitian that's an ultra trail runner. 
I have what? a nurse a nurse that is a natural bodybuilder and weight trainer. <laughs> I have a front desk wow. person that has 20 years of physical exercise training experience. Wow. Like, it's amazing yeah. Yeah. the multiple hats that we wear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say that is a very large portion of the population that is seeking out the preventive care side. When I started here, people sought me out for the functional medicine side because they were very ill and that's what they needed and they were desperate to find someone in the Midwest that does functional medicine. And so I felt like the beginning, that's what I saw. And now because we have a 24-7 gym, you know, so patients can come in and use that and members use that at their will. And then we have sauna and infrared sauna and steam sauna and spa and all that business attached to the clinic. You know, I think that we're attracting more of the I'm well but want to stay well kind of people. Or I'm really great and I want to be faster, stronger, smarter. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, we, that's great. Yeah, we, cy- we cyber-stalked your practice and saw how many amazing things are in your practice, like the sauna and a, the gym. And uh, we're like, yeah. we want to go there. <laughs> right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> You'll see me just hanging out one day out front. <laughs> yeah. I joke and I say, if you tell me, I'm so excited anywhere I go that has a robe and slippers, I feel really special. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think the biggest thing and kind of what, what drew us to you was that you recently wrote a book called Functional Medicine and Primary Care. Together, we will help to get you better. And we're hoping maybe you tell us a little bit about this book and what made you decide to write it, because I think you're the perfect person to bridge all of the concerns that functional medicine trained people have when they're trying to bring it into primary care. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is there's so many people that want to, I see that functional medicine approach to medicine is really growing and it's much needed in our, you know, we need to shift the healthcare paradigm. So as we're shifting it and more and more clinicians are getting savvy to the need for that, it's the trouble, the trouble they're having is how do I incorporate it into my day-to-day practice? And right. so that's what I wrote the book for. It's kind of what I've been saying. You know, I give little tips about how you can read a lab and look at it from an optimal standpoint as opposed to just the average norm and how you can make some nutritional or dietary recommendations that will optimize, say, endocrine function or thyroid function or whatever. And so, it gives these little tips that are practical for the healthcare provider that they can take away from maybe a course in functional medicine and actually apply it right away. Yeah. Feel like they're actually making a difference. And it's all, there's a lot of references and I tried to make it as current and up to date so that they had, that was the other thing when I started practice. If I wanted to implement vitamin D change, for instance, or supplementation, I was scared. I needed some evidence. Mm. I needed to be able to, back up my decision. I need somebody to say, here's a really great paper that has, you know, a large study that is a respectable journal. Like I needed to speak the lingo to my colleagues to gain the respect. Right. And so I put that in the book. I try to load it with references for primary care and uh, healthcare providers. So it's just little bitty tips and ways that they can implement functional medicine into their practice with confidence. Yeah, like like baby steps. But yeah, could can patients read it? Would patients get anything from it? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I kind of the idea was I think there's a little subtitle that says patients a gift to your doctor and doctors a gift to your patients. And so the idea is that patients could glean information and and learn how to dialogue with their physician and say, hey, thanks for ordering that vitamin D level. Do you mind, based on this gamma study, do you mind if we keep my level at around 50? And, you know, as long as they're able to speak the lingo, right. 
they'll have much better success and better relationship, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. And it gives them somewhere to turn to other than Dr. Google where they're going to get all different types of information, right? Right, right, right. It is definitely a little medical-minded. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or yeah. science-minded. That's excellent. What is there anything else that you're currently working on that you uh, you'd like to talk about? Well, just besides getting us uh, health up and running, I am doing a lot of speaking engagements, which that's kind of been a focus this spring. But I did some uh, functional medicine uh, webinars for the applied functional medicine practitioners uh, program. So they've asked me to do some AFMC. educational webinars. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really into genomics. Mm-hmm. I'm one of nine. Yeah. Right now I'm one of nine on the of the world on the autism and neurobehavioral cognitive panel uh, clinical studies. So we're utilizing genomic mutations or polymorphisms and seeing what patterns we're seeing with our autism spectrum patients or our ADHD patients. And we are gathering data to hopefully make a tool for physicians to say, hey, we know that autism isn't a one gene deletion problem. We've, we've all agreed on that. But we see oxytocin mutations, SNPs or polymorphisms on the oxytocin receptors. We see a common zinc mutation, a receptor mutation, and difficulty with metabolizing zinc and so forth. That we're seeing these patterns, and if you can support them appropriately, these patients can go from nonverbal to verbal. I mean, we're seeing amazing outcomes, so I'm really, really thrilled and honored to be part of that. That's a big project right now. Michael, you know what I just heard right there? What's that? I just heard another podcast episode. That's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's super That's amazing. And this, clearly, Dr. Herbst, you're going to have to come back and let us do a whole podcast oh, episode no. on that. <laughs> so you guys were my first genomic testing, like, go-to when I first started doing it back before they, right around the time that they were doing the whole genome mapping and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you yeah, detox genomic panel. Yeah. Right. I use that I'm <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's, I mean, that's really interesting too about the whole the oxytocin aspect and, and deficiency there, especially yeah. since we don't think about utilizing oxytocin therapy. It's, it's something that's getting more and more attention, at least in the literature. Right. Yeah. I was going to say the literature is on fire about using intranasal oxytocin, uh, dosing accordingly, obviously. But the interesting thing, they couldn't figure out, they didn't really know why. They right. just thought it was because the quote-unquote love hormone, and that makes them interact more, maybe better eye contact. But it's interesting, now you can actually identify the homozygous or heterozygous mutations on the oxytocin receptors, and you say, oh, well, this one would really benefit from it, versus, well, not so much on this one. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. That's, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And when is that expected to, to wrap up into uh, an article? Oh, gosh. Well, our goal is to have it for this next year, and we started in January. Okay. So we're, we're still trucking along early in this, in its growth. Right. But uh, it's fun. It's so cool to have my little meetings once a month with oh, people from yeah. all around the world. Right. So cool. That's <laughs> I'm going to be watching for that. That's great. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to be paying attention. Well, you know, I just have one question left that we haven't covered yet which is something that we ask everybody but (laughs) do you like sandwiches (laughs) do i like sandwiches i don't know if that caught you off guard but it but it's it's a very important question at least to me 
So here's a funny, a funny comment. Are we talking about the psychological sandwich where you tell me something really awesome about myself and then you tell me something that I need to work on and then you wrap it up with something awesome? Is that the sandwich we're talking about? Um, we could do that. I was actually going you quite literal. Okay, we're talking bread. Like, you know, like delicious bread yeah. with a couple of meats. Yeah. Um, I actually, if I'm going to eat a sandwich, which I don't eat many, but if I do, I like them grilled. I'm a grilled sandwich person. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan so of that as anytime well. Anytime you melt cheese, I'm all over it. You know? so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I tried to go a little sparing with the, with the general sandwich and the the gluten aspect, but every once in a while, yeah. like a grilled uh, a grilled Reuben or something like that. Oh uh, right. Oh man. Well, I will say, Doctor Herbst, that was probably the most original sandwich answer we've ever gotten about the psychological. <laughs> yeah. That was a good interpretation. I liked it. Uh, well, I was thinking, are they meaning literal? Yeah. Uh, well, sure. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, I have to ask why you ask everybody if they like sandwiches. That is an interesting question. <laughs> you know, I think it's something that I just assume that we all do enjoy a good sandwich. And so it it kind of normalizes people, whether it's I first had the idea of asking Patrick Hanway, asking like all um, these really people with gravitas, like these really basic yeah. questions to humanize them and say like, oh, they're real people, too. They eat peanut butter and jelly. That's cool. Right. You know, so we kind of right. use it that way. I am so real. <laughs> <laughs> I am driving. This is a funny realness. So I am driving my son's truck that is 2006 truck that has a dent on the back from when the trailer banged into it and a dent on the front from when he tried to pull a stump up. <laughs> that's my vehicle. That is real. <laughs> that is great. That is Dr. Herbst. Uh, oh, that's Dr. Anna Herbst. To and from right Salt Health. That's right. I love that. Yes, thank you. Oh. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and allowing us to, to yeah. pepper you with a few questions here and there and tell us what you've been up to and tell us all about Salt Health. I'm just thankful that we had some DO blood in here. Additionally, right. I also yeah, I don't I don't want to minimize the the concept that what you're discussing in this book and who you are is kind of what a lot of people want and yeah. want to be. Like some of these yeah. traditional docs need this. And I really think this is important information. I think we got a lot out of it. And I will encourage all of you to go buy Dr. Herbst's book, Functional Medicine and Primary Care, because I think you're gonna get a really a, a lot of great information from that. Yeah. Thank and, you. Thank you. Yeah. Having been a patient and then uh, now a clinical provider, I feel like my perspective is it's real, just like you said. Yeah. <laughs> and you're real. Yes, you are. And we appreciate that. Yes. So thank you so <laughs> much for uh, coming on. And uh, we'll have you come back on when we... No kidding. When we get this paper back on autism, we're going to have to bring you back. Yes. All right. I would love it. I'd be honored. Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, it was great talking to you, Dr. Herps. We'll talk again real soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was awesome. Oh, see, Dio's are the best. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are. Thanks. I really like Dio's. Oh. Well, and Indies and MDs. I do and too, actually. I a lot like of people more. I like. Yeah. Just to get out there in the open with that. There's <laughs> a lot of people I like. We hear you. And... You know what? I think there still might be time for question of the day. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of time. There is. But I better use the short one. The short intro, I mean. That's a great idea. What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day. 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 
Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think it's a good thing I used the short one. Yeah, is this short? Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Pretty sure this is the short one. It didn't feel very short to me. But, you know, the question of the day is interesting because I think it builds on something Dr. Herbst was talking about when she was trying to make that leap from traditional to functional medicine. Just how do you speak the language of their traditional doc? And she brought up the concept of needing literature citations for some of the decisions you're making and some of the testing you're doing. So my question is a question that we get literally just about every day in medical affairs. Where's the literature to back up some of this stuff, Michael? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because... Uh, it's everywhere, <laughs> if, if wow. I were answering, honestly. However, I think one of the places to look for literature around this type of material in literature for our testing, like the GI effects or the NutriVal, is to look at our support materials. We've spent a lot of time and energy going through and combing the literature and including those references right there in the support materials. So whether it's a clinical claim around a particular biomarker or discussion around therapeutic interventions, all of that stuff is referenced now. And what we should say is moving forward, we're working tirelessly, 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 there we go. Where's that ding? Got it. To ensure that content that we write moving forward has literature citations and that we're staying on top of all the recent literature. Absolutely. Even product pages and sales sheets, all of which is literature cited. And we also invite people to go to places like PubMed or Google Scholar, type in any of the biomarkers or any of these clinical associations and tons of literature will come Yeah, up. you can go right to the source there. You can yeah. go to PubMed, you can go to Google Scholar and actually just enter information about a biomarker. You'll be amazed to find I was. how much literature there actually is I was amazed. on the stuff that we're talking about. That's so, right. Thanks. Go there too. Yeah. Next time on the lab report, we're going to talk about things that bugs make in your gut, like metabolomics, postbiotics, short-chain fatty acids. Look at all those fancy words. Oh. You've been listening fancy to the lab words you report. Got there. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. People in marketing think you look like Anthony Perkins now. Yeah, and I didn't know who that is because Mm -hmm. I'm 38. Whatever. So, there's Mm -hmm. that.